Super Dave. Jim English again. How are you? I am doing absolutely fabulous. And you can hear me well? Very well. Excellent. So this is Jim English and Super Dave, and this is the Super Dave and Jim show. It's about the NBA, although we're going to be doing history in the off-NBA season, so stay tuned for that. And we're going to wrap up the NBA season. And as always, we start this off with number one, Super Dave did not give himself that nickname. And number two is Super Dave is healthy. He had a little medical procedure that shows that he is doing great and we love him, so we need him. And the third thing is we always play, pay a tribute to Randy Larson in the beginning of all of our podcasts. So, Dave, I'll let you chat away about Randy. You know, the best way to start about Randy Larson is the fact that without Randy Larson, Jim, this podcast would not be here. And I wouldn't even know you, Jim, because that's how we met is through our mutual association with Randy Larson. Uh, first and foremost as a basketball player, but ultimately is a, is such a good friend. And, and you know what, Jim, we have a lot of uh, friends in common that know Randy Larson and a lot of them do listen to our podcast. And it, it's, it's a fact that we all share, you know, and, and at different times we were friends with Randy uh, over, I, you know, I, I spanned 50 years from him uh, uh, with him from 1970 to uh, 2020. And, you know, at all those different times, we have, we all have the same opinion about Randy. He's somebody that's a void in our life without him because he, he was so special. And you can't say that about a lot of people, Jim. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's great basketball players and athletes that you played with and great friends and interesting characters and people that have a charisma about them. There's all manner, but Randy had it all. He had all those elements and that's why he's missed so much. And that's why it was your idea to dedicate this podcast to him and that's how you and I got to know each other. And now that we see this, this mutual love, we not only have for Randy, but for basketball. And now uh, we're segwaying eventually into history. It's a great association. It's a great way to kick off our podcast. Uh, every week we do this. And it was, a, it was a wonderful season. It's been a wonderful relationship with Randy and now with you, Jim. Well, thank you, Super Dave. And your right is that Randy precipitated a lot of relationships. And there's lots of people like you that I wouldn't know and wouldn't have the close association if it wasn't for Randy. And Randy has touched us all. One thing I don't know, did I ever bring up, I, you know, I, you know he was my roommate. Did I ever tell you about his cooking prowess? Yes, you have. You've mentioned it actually multiple times, and I and it's something I didn't know because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in that kind of relationship. Mine was mostly on the basketball uh, segue, but uh, yeah, no, you told me about that, and there's just all kinds of stories about Jim and his cooking and uh, uh, Randy and his cooking and his drinking, and et cetera, et cetera. Yes, he was. He was a fine man, and you know. We have a tribute to Randy every year. We're going to have it last year. He paid for it out of it's like a wake. And it was not like a wake. It was a wake. And it was great seeing people we hadn't seen 
And I, there were people I hadn't seen in 20 years. We got to rekindle old friendships. And it was a really nice thing. And there were probably, what, 75 people there? Oh, it was like a big, that. big turnout. And you're right. We saw people we hadn't seen. And I, I'm not, I'm trying to remember his name now. It was one of the guards of our champ, one of our championship basketball teams. And I didn't even realize until almost halfway through the, the celebration there that he was the guy that was uh, that led our team to our championship game along with Randy. It's uh, it was it's just great to share those memories, and we're doing it again August twentieth this year in Manhattan Beach. Yes, and we encourage anybody to stop by. It is uh, it is a no host bar. I'm sure there'll be food. There'll be lots of stories. There'll be lots of basketball, and it'll be a great time, guaranteed. And we'll also be talking about John Strait, who also passed away in the last year or two, who was a really great basketball player who left two brothers that that you and I are close to, Tim and John Strait. So, um, and they might meet uh, Jim Inglis and Super Dave too. I'm sure they will, and it'll be a great time. And we encourage everybody to come. And Randy, I know you're listening to us. We love you and we miss you. So Super Dave, where do you want to start? We're going to, we're going to talk about the, the, the NBA season, you know, disappointments, some things that really went well, like Super Dave, for example, your prediction about three months in when it looked really dismal for the Warriors, you picked them to win it all. I guess that's a great place to start. What are your thoughts about the Warriors? Well, on full disclosure, our last couple of podcasts and talking about the final series uh, as they went down the wire with the Boston Celtics, I was questioning, uh, you know, my my prediction because it looked to me like uh, Steve Kerr was, uh, you know, kind of had a blind spot for Draymond. Uh, green and, and 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 some of the substitution he was doing but uh it kind of proves what a great coach he is and that we don't know squat when it's compared to the uh, the nba uh, hierarchy because uh it turned out that green turned it on the last two games and really uh, brought the warriors over the finish line much like he's done for for many years we can see his skills diminishing as the season's progressing it was pretty obvious it's certain points near the end of the season and in the playoffs that he wasn't himself. But the the overall chemistry and the composition of the roster of the Golden State Warriors ultimately, uh, you know, paid off. And and, and Steve Kerr did make the uh, the right moves. And uh, that, that really, really good Boston team with a great defense was compromised, I think, by just superior chemistry and – a little bit talent. I don't think they were they were that much better player for player than the Celtics, but I think they they did have a better mix. And we had talked about. It. I I really knew they had the better weapons offensively, shooting wise, and uh, that ultimately uh, proved the difference. I think because the Celtics just didn't have enough firepower coming down the stretch, Jim. Yes, I mean what there's a couple <laughs> of things that you know when we so we had a podcast after game. And it looked like the Celtics were going to win it because they were up two to one at that point, I believe. 
And uh, no, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Game four. And it looked like Draymond was more worried and concerned about being disruptive, about getting in people's head rather than playing defense and being efficient offensively and also being the facilitator. And even though he never backed down, it looked like his primary focus prior to game four was disruption. Post game four, it was they were trying, he was trying to just improve and contribute and run the offense, Super Dave. That's what I saw. Well, and he was absolutely afraid to shoot. He had missed his first 12 uh, three-point shots. Uh, so he was he was absolutely a uh, an anchor on the offense. He he wasn't he wasn't rebounding. I saw I saw and, and I I don't know if it was very it was very early in the ser- series game two or three or so a lot of rebounds that that normally he would not only jump higher but he would clear up you know as as players ourselves Jim one of the keys to rebounding is screening out and and he's has he has the body that usually takes up the space but he wasn't doing that and I saw a lot of offensive rebounds by the Celtics that were uh, that were a, a great deal to do with Green and what he was not doing. Then he, if he's not shooting, uh, you, you have additional problem because uh, they, they also, uh, you know, have, you know, Looney didn't want to shoot either. So you had two of the five players didn't even want to take a shot. So uh, no matter how much ball movement you have, you're not going to get offense. If you've got, you know, two fifths of your offense that will, either can't make a shot or won't take a shot. Yeah. And that's, so he stepped up. That was a big key in the last two games. Oh, huge, huge. And it's, it's, it just shows how cohesive and what a leader he, he always was for that team. And we know about Curry and of course Thompson wasn't a hundred percent, but he still had enough. But Andrew Wiggins was just amazing in the playoffs. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, you know, defense, and consistent. You know, he, he was he was consistent. You know, he's always consistent in terms of his offensive and rebounding contributions. What I thought was superlative was his defense on Tatum. And Tatum is only 24 years old, and I hear the media debating, is he a superstar or just an all-star? Well, I think that in this series, he was just an all-star. And a big part of that reason is because of the way Andrew Wiggins was guarding him. And he played so well. And what was it? He got 16 rebounds in game five and was just so tough defensively. And, you know, here's, some, here's what I saw happening, and I, I like your comment. This is, this is kind of what I noticed, is that None of the games were close. I mean, none of them were nail biters. None of them came down to somebody making a clutch shot in the last minute. Now there were there were times during the games where they were, you know, where clutch shots were made. You know, one that comes to mind is Jordan Poole at the end of the third at the end of the the third quarter and one at the end of halftime where he hit those long shots. But what happened, what I saw in the blowouts, I saw one of two things happening. I saw really good step up by the role players in Boston. 
the Derek Whites, the, the Horfords, um, Marcus Smart, if you want to call him a, you know, a, a role player, when they won, the role players were hot when Boston won. Now, when Golden State won, it was like they were running downhill. They just were such an offensive barrage, and everybody, all their core, was playing well and hitting their shots. So I see it came down to really Boston's role players continue dominating, or was the Golden State Warriors downhill? you know, style of basketball, hitting threes in bunches. What was going to happen? And that's what I saw. Yeah, I think that that was uh, a, a real key in the fact that the the stars were – you know what happened is the Golden State Warriors defense kind of outshined Boston uh, because there was that uh, – that the, the way they guarded Tatum and uh, – and, and, uh, what, what's their other star? Uh, Brown, Jalen Brown. Brown, Brown. Yeah, that sort of threw the – kind of uh, put the baton and the, uh, the ball in the court of the, the backups. And uh, at times they, they did show that they could carry the load. But uh, you can't do that for the, for the duration of a seven-game series. Yeah, I hate to see – I hate to see – well, first of all, you know I can't stand Boston. Even though I like this team, I like this culture, you know, I'm psychologically scarred forever because of Red Arbach and a damn cigar. Understood, understood. So I, 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 I like the fact that Golden State, Boston. But what, I, what was kind of sad to me is that Jason Tatum was, was really their only ball distributor. He led them in assists. And, you know, I think going forward, what they need is they need a really good ball distributor. And a couple of free agents that kind of caught my eye is what do you think about Ricky Rubio signing with Boston? I think that would be a, a strong move because Rubio is really coming into his own now. And I, I never really thought of, of uh, Smart, uh, uh, Marcus Smart, as a as a point guard. I mean, they call him that, but he's not really a point guard. Do you think? No, no, I don't think so. And you know, he's you know, it's so valuable right now to guard wings. And you know, defensively, he's on the wing. He shouldn't be guarding a point. And I think Ricky Rubio, and also too is you know Ricky Rubio is not a great defensive player, but he is really good offensively. He's really clever ball handler, and I like the way he passes. He's kind of a poor man's Earl the Pearl Monroe, if you will, because he's you know he's light on his feet and his passing. So I could see him going there because do you agree that Boston needs another facilitator? Oh, definitely, and and uh, Rubio would be ideal. That's a that's a, a mix that really works because that would then enable Smart to be a little bit more uh, maneuverable and not have that responsibility. That gives them kind of coverage of the whole court. And what's kind of interesting now, Jim, in the NBA, like you were saying about the the swingmen 
and and so many teams, you know, playing without bigs, uh, it, it's it, I think they can go too far. It's like the pendulum can swing just so far in one direction, then it's got to come back. And I think when you start doing that and you start phasing out the big men and the um, inside, it can have some uh, some negative effects that that you know the NBA has now been around for over sixty years, and you know you, you're seeing that. Uh, a big man, a point guard, a power forward, those kind of things that are going by the wayside, I think uh, they might have gone too far, Jim. Well, and it's interesting that you say that. So what I did is because you said that in one of our first podcasts. Oh, did I? Well, you said, I yeah, you right said, you, then, huh? yeah, you were right. Because what you were saying is, you know, the current trend in the NBA is, is, almost positionless you know you kind of need a facilitator like a point guard and you kind of need a big man or a big man by committee and so i took a look so what you're looking at are people that can guard all sorts of positions you know that can bar you know that i mean the ideal defensive player now who is the one of the biggest head cases is ben simmons who can guard a point guard and guard a center you know, what I was doing, and you know, I was I was crunching numbers that you know I like to do. I took a look at the top fourteen draft picks, the lotto picks, okay, and every one of them but three. So there's fourteen. So eleven of them, uh, eleven of them are all players that fit the mold of guarding anywhere from shooting guard to small forward to center. Okay. You're looking at, you know, players with multiple abilities to play multiple positions. And there's only three that I could find in the lotto, uh, a point guard or a shooting guard IV and a couple other centers that were in the top 14 super Dave. So, you know, maybe the pendulum's going to swing back, but the NBA right now, according to the mock drafts, are betting on these players that can guard multiple positions, including the wing, including the center, Super Dave. No, that's true. And, and in the draft coming up this year, it doesn't seem like there's any real standout. And uh, what you're going to see, uh, and, and I've been kind of looking a little bit down the road to, to the draft and next year for these teams. There's some teams that are going to draft because they actually have a, they, they, they have a need at a position, something that we're talking about that is going away. But I think they're recognizing uh, each team that either is lacking a big guy or a point guard or of, you know, a, a, a better swing man, if you will, or a three point shooter. They're, they're, they're going to, in the top 10 picks, they're going to select a player that may not be the best athlete of the top 25, but maybe they're, they fit a positional need. Then there's going to be other teams, Jim, that are going to just pick the best available athlete because uh, there are a few teams, and we, if you look at the top of the draft with Orlando, the uh, o- Oklahoma, Houston, Sacramento, Detroit, Indy, Portland, those teams are all in need of everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so they're going to go for the athletes. So it's going to be kind of a fascinating mix. And your analysis and the way you and I are looking at it 
and, and of course, like we, I just acknowledged uh, a few minutes ago, we're still not uh, as, as smart as the NBA people, but we're, we're knowledgeable enough to understand the, the NBA game. And what we try to do on this podcast, Jim, is, is help other fans like ourselves kind of appreciate the game. And, and by, you know, when you make predictions, Jim, or you talk about the future, it's not that we're, you know, our ego is getting inflated and trying to, trying to show that we know more than somebody else. Or we're trying to say that based on our knowledge and our observation of the NBA, we can tell some of the things that, are, that, should, that there are, are being involving, and it helps the enjoyment of the game. Don't you think, Jim, the way we look at it? No question about it. And also identifying trends. And ah. the one trend, you know, the one trend that you identified is defensive and offensive dis- diversity is that the NBA player now, it's like Red Arbach is the guy who said, okay, you're a point guard, you're a shooting guard, you're a power forward, small forward center. And now the game is totally morphed away from that for the most part. Oh, okay, uh, very good. Jim, we have to stop here and really focus on that, what you just said about Arbach and the Celtics. He was so specific and, and so ahead of his time. And we're, ta- we're talking as far back as the as the 50s now okay he had he came up with a six man frank ramsey was the first six man they they never had a really good player that sat on the bench on any of the nba teams and ramsey was a as a high draft pick and a very good player but he never started for the celtics and it was a a strategy that arback used to bring him off the bench to, to provide something that wasn't part of their starting, the starting uh, team. And he I- instituted the fast break, and he also uh, invented the power forward, if you will, enforcer in Jim Luskatov. Have you, have, yes. you ever, have you seen old footage of Luskatov, Jim? I, I have not, but I know he was a bruiser. Do a YouTube video and, and look at an old Celtic game. Uh, and I just happened to watch one a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't seen him a long time, but in my mind, I, I still had a pretty good memory. But as I saw him again, I mean, this guy was a muscle-bound dude, and he was not built like a basketball player because he wasn't. But it, I looked at his stats, and I was actually shocked because this playoff game that I watched on YouTube, he actually hit a few key shots for the Celtics, and he was actually looked like he was maybe a better player than I thought. But he was purely there. To, to come into the game and stop somebody in their tracks and, and to enforce whatever uh, the Celtics wanted to do. So, so uh, Arbeck had, had, was brilliant in that. And, and that is what developed into the positional distinctions. You know, Bob Cousy became the prototype point guard when a lot of the teams just had two guards out there. We have a point guard, a shooting guard, uh, a shooting forward, a power forward, and a big guy in, in Bill Russell. And the, the six men off the bench. So Arbeck instituted all that and it eventually evolved into those positions. And now in the last 10, 15 years, it's gone away from that. And I think what we're talking about today is there's, it's, it's really kind of very, the nuances are very minor here, but I, I think they're going to get back to a little bit more positional. That's, that's my theory. <laughs> well, for once we disagree. Okay. <laughs> Because what I'm, you know, I see this trend going, and I think it'll be, you know, a, um, it'll be point guard, 
guards will be like Ja Morant and Trey Young, and apparently this Ivy coming out of Purdue is of the same caliber. He's a, a gunner, a distributor, a shooter, as, a, as opposed to he's like a, a combination of, of the shooting and point guards. And then I also see, you know, based on the draft of this year and last year, are all these players who are just playing multiple positions. Even though Chet Holgram, who is the guy from, uh, from uh, Gonzaga, from the Zags, he is, you know, 7'1 and 190. But, you know, he brings the ball up. He, he covers the perimeter. And all the other players, for the most part, are these diverse offensive and defensive players that can play multiple positions. And I see the trend continuing, but we shall see, Super Dave. We shall see. Well, uh, I, I, I'm not saying the trend is not going to continue. Uh, let me make that clear. What I'm saying is that I think they've gone a little too far and a few teams are going to, and you come, you came up with the Rubio idea because I, Marcus Smart, in my opinion, is, is, was, was a round peg trying to be forced into a square hole. You know, he, he, he's not the point guard that Rubio is. And if you would put Rubio on that team and keep smart, I think you would see a whole different Celtic offense. Well, you got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him, huh? Yeah, that's so, my that's my cell phone <laughs> ring. So, so uh, yeah, I think that I think that you know you're right that there's as far as that goes, there I, are I am about thirty five percent of the time right. That's good. Uh, good as <laughs> No, it's more. It's, but you you're correct about certain teams like Boston. They need a distributor. Okay, and you know who else is actually a free agent who might fit in well is Tyus Jones, who's a free agent this year, and he's a good distributor, plays good defense. I think they're going to have to move away from Pritchard. As much as I like Pritchard, a Pac-12 player, played at Oregon, he's missing the big shots, and he's a defensive liability. Yes, but uh... – uh, once again, I, it's just a, a, a subtle difference, but that, but like I said, you brought up the, the Rubio point and that's what, that's what I'm saying is there. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be uh, always, it, it's, it's not going to go back to its former self, the NBA, but they, there's, there's so much emphasis on swingmen because of the defense and, and really it's because of the defense more than the offense. And you brought that up, Jim, because, it's how every one of these guys can switch on a pick and pick and roll, which is the key to offense in the NBA. So yeah, the pick and roll is the thing that exposes differences. So now, and also these point guards that are shooters also, and that's another thing you brought up that's, that's, that's kind of changed. The, the point guards of the past were not that much as shooters. Now the point guard is often the shooting guard also, you know, yeah, Trey Young, you know, that's that kind of Yeah, no, you you identified them, yeah. those guys and even uh, uh Steph Curry is a to, to technically a, a shooting guard, but he's a point guard too. Yeah, I mean, Damon Lillard, I mean, they're all over the NBA now, and apparently this this Ivy from Purdue is supposed to be like that too. So Golden State's got some 
real challenges because they've got their number one in the salary cap. And what do you do with Looney? He's a free agent. He's only making $5 million. And do you sign him? Do you trust Wiseman as being more durable and maybe he can play? I mean, what do you do? Because Looney is going to demand a, you know, a 20 to $25 million a year salary. Do you pay him or you walk away? What do you think? I would pay him as much as I could afford to pay him because I like Looney. And I think Wiseman coming back will be a just a bonus for that team. Uh, I just think that that team is set for another great season next year because I think, and, and I'm going to make my, my my biggest prediction right now. Uh, I like it. Jonathan Kaminga is going to be an all-star next year. Not not a good player, Whoa. not a very good player. He's going to be an all-star next year. That is, he's going to come out of the woodwork, and people are going to go, where where was he all this time? He's an amazing talent, and the way that the, that that Golden State team is evolving now, uh, I see that he's going to have a role uh, that, that's going to play. And Looney is perfect fit because he doesn't take uh, the shots away from all those shooters they have. Still plays good defense, still rebounds like an animal. Wiseman and he, if they just rotate, I think will be a perfect fit, and that just. Uh, uh, is going to just just be a, a bonus for the the Golden State Warriors. I look to them to be in the Final Four again next year. I would say that's a pretty safe bet. And you know, it's interesting too. Is a place like Golden State, the culture, the way they develop players, it engenders loyalty. And what I think is going to happen here is Looney is going to take less to stay there. And to stay in Golden State rather than go to, you know, I'll just pick a team like Cleveland or Detroit or someplace like that where he's going to toil in obscurity as opposed to staying a vital member of the wheel, a cog in the wheel of a championship pedigree team. I do believe that he stays for less money. So I got a couple of free agent questions for you. Shoot him at me. Okay. What, what is Kyrie Irving going to do? Where's he going to be next year? Oh, that is impossible to tell because (laughs) the reason, the reason that's hard to tell is that he was phenomenal when he played for the Nets this year. Okay. He has lost nothing. In fact, he may be at the top of his game, actually, you know, and he's a guy that shoots a lot. That's not, that isn't a really a ball hog necessarily, uh, even with Duran on the team. So uh, he's a phenomenal talent, but he's a pain in the ass. Okay. And as a pain in the ass, you, you don't know, you kind of exclude a few teams that he might, look at or that you would think traditionally might be looking at him in a free agency uh, and the nets themselves uh, you know he's and you you always accent your points with these great words that really synthesize loyalty loyalty is something that Kyrie Irving does not have and he hasn't proved no. historically <laughs> that he's had that in his career and so you know why do you want to keep somebody that's not loyal to your team. Well, because they're such a great player. Well, that dilemma makes it unpredictable. And 
so to, to try to try to answer your question with anything that, that that makes any sense, I can't I can't do it because he's he brings so much baggage with him wherever he goes. But additionally, so much talent, he could he could end up anywhere, really. Yeah. So it's interesting because he's got a player option of I believe it's thirty six million. Okay which is a lot of money. I mean, there is no question about See, it. You and I don't even make that much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't. Uh, but here's the deal. It's a player option. So if he opts out, do you think anybody is going to pay him more than that $35 million? I just don't see it because of the baggage. That's the problem. And, that's, uh, and he's brought that on himself. But it's it's always interesting uh, to to watch the management of of professional sports teams because there's so much money at stake. There's so much, uh, and you have to make that determination whether you're going to uh, have somebody part of your organization that that really doesn't fit personality wise or ethically, uh, you know, in 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 uh, tune with your goals and concepts and the policies that have built your organization, but yet you, you, you admire their talent and uh, have to decide whether putting that much talent that uh, has that much baggage is worth the, uh, worth the price. And so uh, as far as us standing on the sidelines, Jim, I just, you know, there's certain players like that. I, I can't even begin to imagine where they might go. And, and, and I don't even like that speculation because I just, I just like watching it unfold and I will react when he goes somewhere, but uh, beforehand, it's all just, you know, smoke screens. Yeah, and it, you know, it kind of depends on, frankly, how delusional he is. Because I don't think anybody's going to pay him any more than his $35, 36000000 million, which is his player option. But he may not think that. I mean, he's, he's flaky and he's elusive, and you don't know what he's thinking. So it'll be interesting to see where he is. Now, one rumor that really, really interests me is uh, Bradley Beal to um, to Miami. Think about that. There's strong rumors to that effect. And by the way, Miami is the only team. I checked out the salary caps this morning, and they're like ninth. You know, they have spent the, you know, they have the ninth most money to spend. And they're the only contender that's got any money at all. All the others are, you know, Golden State, uh, you know, all all of them, all all the, you know, everybody but Memphis. Memphis has actually got money, too. But they've got room for Bradley Beal to pay if they wanted to. So Bradley Beal to Miami or... Is Bradley going to be Beal going to stay loyal to DC? Any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, I, the only thoughts I would have is I, I don't have any idea of his loyalty to uh, to Washington, but I I, I do see uh, a, an interesting mix in Miami. Uh, it, it was kind of uh, confusing near the end of the season uh, and in the playoffs that uh, Tyler Hero all of a sudden it fell out of favor. You know, he was, uh, he, he looked like an up and coming uh, star. And then they, they, they put him on the bench for a while. And then Kyle Lowry is somebody I've always respected. 
and and thought that he was a great was going to be a great key to to Miami, maybe making it all the way to the finals. And then he sort of had some some down games. So if you were to add Beal to that mix, that would be a, a rotation that might get the most out of uh, out of all of them. Uh, but then you got you know Butler that has to factor in there somehow. So I don't know if they they'd have enough basketballs uh, if they added Beal. That's an interesting question. You know, I think that that uh, uh, the Butler Jimmy Buckets will do whatever he has to do to win. And if he's going to pass to Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal is going to score 30 because I mean, Bradley Beal can score 30 for an NBA season. He's one of those rare players that can actually put up numbers like that in the right environment. And I also see Bradley Beal working out well uh, on the, in, in terms of culture, in terms of hard work, in terms of intensity, in terms of commitment. Uh, if they can pull it off, boy, I really like that because they just needed, I mean, they just needed somebody. I mean, it came down to them and Boston in, you know, they lost the seventh game and it, you know, it comes down to just that narrow of a margin. One player like that can really tip the scale, Super Dave. Well, it came down to that one shot of the guy you just mentioned, Jimmy Butler. I mean, that pull up three, uh, if that goes down, uh, we could have seen a different outcome to the to the uh, the, the final uh, final series. So, uh, and, and you made another good point about Butler. He is a kind of winner. I've really been impressed in the last couple of seasons with Butler. His early part of his career, that he really had that star potential, but I didn't see him fitting any of the teams that he went to. It didn't seem like he was. He was getting the most out of his talents, and now he's emerged as a as a, a brilliant tactician on the floor and a selfless player, uh, and and just seems to have you know one of the things I admire about the, some of the great players, Jim is, and as a former player myself, and I always thought of my teammates if they if the, the really good teams have they know when to take a shot when it's a good shot and when it's a bad shot and. And Butler has that has that wonderful nuance of knowing when to take the shot, when to dish it off, and and you need that you need that sort of mentality if you're going to mix Butler with Hero and Lowry uh, as as your primary offensive weapons. He Butler, I thought, did an amazing job in the playoffs. Oh. I, I mean, they just just hop on my back because you're right. Now they played the Lakers in the bubble. And Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson were really, really big contributors. And they didn't do that much. They did almost nothing against Boston. Also, too, is Bam Adebayo did well when Rob Williams was out of the game. Boston 6'11 center, who's a space eater and blocking shots on the perimeter. You know, and... They just need, I think that Miami just needs one more little oomph to, you know, just somebody like Beal to put them over. And I would certainly give up some young assets because Beal is loyal and I don't think he would just abandon uh, abandon D.C. I think what he would do is there would be a sign and trade. 
And I think that Miami might give up a couple of assets. They, I mean, they've got Oladipo. They could give him up. They could give up. I'd give up Tyler, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and Oladipo for Bradley Beal any day. Oladipo is so, an unrestricted uh, free agent, you know. So he's, he can go anywhere. Yeah. So, so he's probably yeah. not – they can't really move him like that. But I – I hear what you're saying, but I would not get rid of Hero myself. I, I think that the, uh, I, in fact, I think they, the underused Hero, the underused Duncan Robinson. I, I thought those two guys. I love, I love teams that have multiple three-point shooters that can kind of fan out over that three-point line, and you just gotta guard them all. And that's what that's what Golden State does. And you said Adebayo is. You're right. When when Williams was there for the Celtics, he would disappear. And he's another guy that at times uh, is afraid to shoot. He's a he's a, a pretty good shooter. And you need to have that if you're going to have a big guy on the floor, they can't be afraid to shoot. And I saw a couple of chinks in his armor. He's a really fine player, but I I do see him disappear at times. And and that worries me about players that. Uh, and multiple games, all of a sudden, you don't see them. They're not. They're not a part of it. And uh, the really good players, the real good teams, have four or five guys on the floor that that never happens to. Yeah, that's. So, uh, what about what about the Phoenix Suns and De- and DeAndre Ayton? What do they do? They sign him to a, a max deal, a long term contract. Uh, do they let him go? I mean, what do you think? Any any thoughts on? I know you you have no idea what's going to happen. Nobody does. But what you know? What would you do if you were Phoenix? Would you sign him? Would you let him go? The easy answer to that uh, is if I had if I had Aiton on any team, and I had uh, I was making the decision any team in the NBA, I'd do everything in my power to keep him. I love the way he plays plays the post. I love a post guy that's not afraid to shoot, that can play defense, that moves on the pick and roll, goes to the hoop, can still shoot a little away from the basket. Uh, I, I just think he's a phenomenal uh, athlete and an NBA player. I love I love that guy, and I would do everything to keep him because he seems to blend well well with everybody on his team. Uh, he's He's there when you need him, and I like that kind of player. And he's a physical specimen. I mean, I I had a certain kind of player that was hard for me to go against because I was always a skinny rail, uh, you know. And uh, I had my most problem with Keith Erickson because Keith Erickson was strong and was stronger than me. I wouldn't want to go against Aiden. That, that guy's a, a, a monster. Yeah, and he's he is, you know, this will be his second contract. So theoretically, he's at his peak, and big men team seem to peak, you know, a little later. And also, too, he's pretty durable. He hasn't missed too many seasons. I mean, too many games during his first three or four seasons. And you know, I've been reading about this and doing a little research for this podcast. And the the prediction is is he's going to leave. He's going to go somewhere else. I was shocked when I even heard the rumor. And now it seems to be getting more and more real. And I'm just thinking maybe I'm wrong. You know, you know, that does happen occasionally, but I don't, I don't, I don't see why 
he's so perfect. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And that, that Phoenix team is just, is, is well-designed and I don't, I, I would not want to upset the apple cart there. Yeah. It's he, I agree, but that's not what they're, I mean, what they're saying, you know, from the, the prognosis that people are given is that, that he's going to be gone next year. And I don't know what they're going to do in the middle there. You know, they're, I, they've, I mean, they, you know, it's interesting too. And I've seen teams do this through the, through the years of watching the NBA and actually other teams, you know, too, is Phoenix had the best season in the regular season of anybody. There was a premature exit from the playoffs. And now they're looking at giving up one of their key assets because of one playoff series. I just don't think it is a good idea. I don't think it's practical or prudent to do so, Super Dave. No, I, I, I don't see that, that mentality. Now, once again, we don't know, and, and you, you are more up on it. I don't care about it. I don't care about the salaries or anything, but it's a, a realistic factor in where, why these players move from team to team. Uh, you know, and, and I understand that they're looking out for their best interest. I'm just looking out for basketball, and I cannot explain how, and like I said, all I can say is I know that you've got to work the salary cap and everything, but I would give that that guy anything he wants, uh, and, you know, because I just think he's a key part of the team. But obviously, they're thinking differently. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that their, you know, their thought process, from what I've read, is they need to bring in another scorer, and he would eat up too much of the salary cap. He's one of those guys. That's one of those teams that are that are pretty high up in the salary cap. So what about Zach Levine, who, by the way, I think is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. And I made the prediction last year that Chicago with their core was going to, you know, was going to do actually better. They, they, they did real well in the beginning of the year, but then faded and Lonzo ball, he just gets hurt too much and it's pretty tough. And they lost Caruso. But Zach Levine is like a really, really good perennial all-star. I mean, I can't call him a superstar, but he is a perennial all-star. Do you think he leaves Chicago? Any ideas, any thoughts? Well, um, there, there's something that some uh, kind of strange chemistry happened near the end of the season where Chicago, I thought, was one of those teams that, that could go a long way in the playoffs. And for some reason... Uh, it looked like DeRozan was taking over a lot of the offense and a, a little bit away from Levine. Levine, I think, and and it's a, a case like Brown and Tatum for for Boston. There was a period early in the season uh, where they were talking about uh, the, trading those uh, one of those two guys for Boston because they didn't seem to fit together. And I think sometimes stars like that, like Levine and DeRozan, have the same problem. They're, they have a lot of the same features. They're really good pull-ups. But DeRozan uh, shoots a little closer into the hoop, does a little more mid-range shooting than Levine does. So I, I love Zach Levine. I really love the way he plays. Uh, and and he's, he's developing. I, I see his shot getting better and better. Uh, it, you know, he developed that three-point shot over the last several years, and it, it just seems to be deadly. And you can't, you can't really stop him. I love, I love uh, players that can create their own shot. 
shots and, and Levine gets above everybody. So he can get that shot off anytime. So I just think that, and, and I love Lonzo ball, even though, like you said, he, he has a, a little bit of an injury history now, but I see him developing. I love the defense that Caruso and the chemistry that, that Caruso does to uh, the other four guys when he's on the court at the same time. So that, that Chicago team uh, is maybe a player away from being really a powerhouse, but not if Levine goes. So again, I think they have to make some financial decisions, I guess, if they can coax him to, to, to not take advantage, but he's such an awesome player. I see him, him going somewhere else because there's just, there's just probably not enough money in Chicago to keep him there. Yeah. He's I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping he stays in Chicago. I am too. And, you know, he was part of the, you know, the DeRozan, Caruso, Ball, core of people. And they actually have, oh, and Vukovic, their center is quite good oh, too. This is a fun player to watch. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really like that core. And, you know, it, they lost a lot of chemistry when Lonzo Ball went down because – you know, Lonzo Ball, when you look at his stats, he does everything well and he contributes in every aspect of the game. And he is a stat sheet stuffer. <laughs> so what he does is, you know, he gets, you know, six assists and seven rebounds and 15 points and three steals or two steals and blocks a shot and you know, only one or two turnovers. He does everything. He plays great defense. He's the type of player that we talk about that can, you know, that can guard multiple people and play multiple offensive spots. He's really good downhill. He runs. So, you know, they need to keep him healthy. When they lost him and Caruso, I think that was their season. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And, you know, another thing about Ball uh, and that type of player I love is – it's really fun to watch these young players develop because, you know, when he came into the Lakers and uh, his shot was just horrible. I cringed when he would take an outside shot because, you know, as an outside shooter, you know, there's mechanics that you just, that you very seldom see anybody, you know, Jamal Wilkes maybe, you know, was one of the few people that could really shoot with a, a, the most odd release I, I've ever seen. But Ball had that and they, they somehow worked with him or he worked on his own, developed and, and got his shot. And he's always, like you said, been an unselfish player, does multiple things. I love those kind of players. I lo love to watch them develop over their career because it shows me, Jim, uh, that, that a, a person, a player that develops as they go along shows me that they're working at their game. They really care about their development, and they're doing something in the offseason, something during the season to, to make it work. And our very first podcast last year, I remember this distinctly, you brought up the Chicago Bulls, and you and I both, for some reason, are, are gravitate to the, the roster that they've put together. And so you and I both, again, have the same feeling. I, I'd hate to see Levine be pulled out of that mix when one more addition, if they, if they don't lose him, would just make that a really fun, fun team. So uh, that's a, that's a shame if that goes the way of the uh, the dinosaur. Yeah, that I I really hope he stays. Now, 
Got to ask you, Super Dave, about the Nets. What do you think is going to happen there? <laughs> the New Jersey Nets. Oh, my God. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Once again, another player that's kind of a dilemma. He's not one of my – he's not even a player I like, really, but I, I, I love his basketball, is Kevin Durant. That's a guy that is very intelligent when you hear him interviewed. He plays with every, you know, he can play with superstars, with anybody. Uh, so uh, that team, they put so many good players on that roster and did, uh, you know, were such underachievers. Uh, I frankly don't know what to think of them, Jim. Yeah, it's, so I agree with you. Kevin, Kevin Durant is going to be a top 15, maybe top 12 players of all time. And, you know, thank God for Draymond Green pissing him off because if he would have stayed at Golden State, they would have probably won two more championships. And the NBA season would be a mute point because the Golden State would win it every year when you have a shooter like Durant. And they would have won it had Durant and Thompson not got hurt when Toronto won, you know, what was that, 2019 or two, yeah, 2019, I believe. And I just, I just don't, you know, he's a great player. He's committed, you know, he's passionate. I, I really like, he's kind of aloof, but he's an excellent player. One of the best of all times. I'm just wondering about how he's going to react to Kyrie, who you never know what the hell he's going to do, nor do you know what Ben Simmons is going to do, because Ben Simmons is a, you know, he is the perfect defensive player. Perfect. You, you know, I don't know if you've, you've used your therapeutic couch lately, Jim, but maybe you can loan it to Ben Simmons. <laughs> he I needs to... He needs to get on a podcast with you and tell him tell you all his problems. I think he does. He has to pour it out to me and let, Ben, let's talk about it here. You know, you're a six nine phenomena. You're a you're you're a, an actual a genius with the ball when you when you drive the lane. But there's something there's something going on mentally with this guy that I don't I just can't fathom. You know, yeah, I. I, I mean, I never felt like I had tremendous physical skills. I, I only, you, know, you can't coach six, six. That's what I had, but I had to work at everything I got. I didn't have the natural talents of a Ben Simmons or a, you know, a, a Kevin Durant, but uh, I, I don't know what Simmons is pissing away his career, Jim. Yeah. Well, you got a situation here where Ben Simmons might have as much natural talent anybody who's ever played the game yeah you know because you know he doesn't sit there in the off season and work on a shot like kevin durant does you know he doesn't do that right um and he loves to do, he for some reason he just does not want to learn to shoot and i've heard i heard reggie miller say that he would love to work with ben simmons in the off season but you know he shunned him you know, he shocked you know, Reggie Miller, who at the time had scored more three-pointers than anybody. I mean, if they could shoot a three-point shot, it would be – he'd be incredible. But, you know, defensively, I mean, he could – point guards can't blow by him and centers can't dunk around him and shooters can't shoot over him. He is the 
prototypical defensive player that the NBA demands, but he's just got a head case. He's a head and, case. and nobody can keep up with him up and down the court. I mean, he just flashes from, from one end of the court to the other. And we talked about mechanics earlier, and, and you're right. If Reggie Miller or any good shooting coach would get to him, he'll never be a great shooter, okay? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. A guy that shoots poorly turns into a great shooter. But you can be a, a, become an adequate shooter. Look at um, – um, uh, Jason, uh, who's the coach of Dallas? Jason. Oh, Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd was not a shooter when he came into the league. He turned out to be a good shooter, and he must have worked at it. There must have been some coaching going on with that. Uh, but he he eventually be, Kidd became a really. And Simmons, it will, if he would work on his game and work on the mechanics, because his natural ability that you described is, is phenomenal. And, 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 and that comes to the shot, too. It, you could see the potential of it there, but you've got to work on the mechanics just a little bit to make it work. And, and it's a very sophisticated thing. We talked about Clay Thompson, uh, and I told you what I was seeing, why his I thought his sh- shooting dropped a little bit, because... I saw him drifting a little bit, not not uh, going straight up with his shot. I think that was his problem, and so there's a mechanical, a physical part to the uh, to the to the shot. But I think Simmons still would have potential, but mentally, I just don't see any dedication to get there. I know, and that's what you know. What's amazing to me is a couple of things. First of all, you know that Simmons has got the hand-eye coordination because you can't dribble and pass like he does without that coordination, number one. Um, number two is that, you know, he's athletic, he's quick, he's strong. I think he works on his body. You know, I, I think that he's lifted weights and staying in shape because he's strong and he's quick and he's fast and you can't compete in the NBA without at least working somewhat on your body. But he just, I don't understand why he doesn't want to work on his shot. And by the way, case in point, um, you mentioned Jason Kidd. What about Carl Malone? I mean, Carl Malone was a bricklayer when he first got to the NBA. And he mastered the fall away. He was an 80% free throw shooter. And that was through hard work and dedication and Carl Malone, I believe, is the third leading scorer in the NBA. I think LeBron just passed him recently. And, you know, there's an example of somebody who works hard. And I just, maybe it's, I, I don't understand the psychology with that much talent to not want to work on something as gratifying as hitting a shot. I mean, hitting a three-point shot is is as euphoric of an athletic accomplishment that you can have when you're playing. A good example with Malone. That was a good one, Jim. And also there's another player that was on the nets itself that if you, if you track from the beginning to, uh, to, to the NBA to now Blake Griffin turned into a good shooter and he, Absolutely. Was, and he couldn't shoot a free throw when he got started and never took a three point shot. And all of a sudden Blake Griffin, uh, he worked on his shoot, uh, shooting. You got to, I, I don't have, I don't know that for a fact, but it's pretty obvious. If you look at his free throw percentage over the years now, it, I, I venture to tell you it's gone up every year, 
every single oh, no question. No question about it. I heard a stat this year in the beginning of the year when he was playing for the Nets, and he shot – it's like 40% of his, of his shots now are three-point shots. When he first came in the league, it was about 2% were three-point shots. And he's clearly a proficient free-throw shooter and three-point shooter because he can't, like, jump over Kias and dunk anymore like he did in the dunk contest. So that is pretty interesting, Super Dave. Now, we're at the – guess how long we've been on? We've been on an hour. Can you believe that? Time flies. Oh, you really? Like, I, th- I thought we were going to have to do some filling here. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of other notes that I wanted to, you know, ask you about. What do you think about Memphis? I mean, they got all those young players, and they push Golden State just as hard as Boston did. What do you, and they've got a bunch of money in their salary cap too. I mean, oh they could, yeah, no, that's a very, yeah. I was hoping we could get to that that New Orleans team because uh, you know obviously with Ian uh, uh, Williamson uh, yeah. not playing the whole Zion Williamson not playing the whole year that we knew that that was going to, to really hurt that team. But what it did do uh, for a positive, because they, they expect him to come back strong, is Brandon Ingram was able to emerge as a real force, an absolute animal. And I think that's going to bode well for the team because when, when Williamson gets back and they've got McCollum, which I thought was a, a, a great piece of the team, that team is going to really uh, have a have a chance because they've got they're they're loaded with talent. Yeah, I you know it'll be interesting if you know it all comes down to one simple thing: if Zion signs, can he stay healthy? Because if he can, he is a unique talent, and you know his his stats are he averages twenty five and about twelve in games that he's played and that included his rookie year where he was a little disoriented. The problem is, is he's in a three, he hasn't played an entire season in three seasons. You know, if you add up, so if he signs and he's healthy, I see them as being a contender. You know, they played three rookies in the playoffs who contributed mightily to the success. And they almost, they almost upended Phoenix. They gave Phoenix everything they could handle. So, and they've got a lot of salary cap, and they got a lot of offense. I mean, this could be a team to keep an eye on. Yeah, and they have the eighth pick in the draft. And as I said, I think the teams that pick ahead of them that pick for needs, you come to the eighth pick, and they're going to get a really good player, whether they go for needs or for just best available athlete. And when you, like you just said, they came so close to the playoffs anyway, but with no Zion – uh, now back and Ingram's development, uh, that's a, that's a team that I think is going and maybe be the most improved next year. Yeah. And McCollum, you know, if, if, I mean, if they could bring in and also to your right and they have an opportunity now, they've got a lot of offensive firepower because you look at, at Zion and you look at McCollum and you look at, um Ingram, you've got, you know, you got Mr. Mid-range, Mr. Outside, and Mr. Inside. 
So what they and also too their center is quite good. It's it's a it's a Euro and I can't think of his name Vasilunas, I yeah. believe Vasilunas, and he's very Vasilunas or something. Yeah, excuse our pronunciation, but he is a very good player too. If you have Zion, when they draft, they can draft like one of these these Swiss Army knife defensive players because they're going to have plenty of offense. So they can get a, you know, a Swiss army knife defensive player that can play a little bit of everything. You know, one of these six ten, six eight guys that can play wing and guard down low point guards won't blow by him. And there's a lot of those players coming up now. So it'll be interesting to see. What do you think about Memphis? What do you think about the Grizz? Well, I was, I was absolutely impressed with them coming down the stretch. I, I, I had, you know, I, I have to admit, I didn't realize how, how strong a team they were until I got a chance to watch them in the, in the playoffs and see them several times at, in the course of a week. And uh, they, they're just loaded with talent. And I, I think that's a team that, uh, you know, let's see, I think they, they, they draft near the end of the draft. So, uh, and I don't know if they've, uh, I, I think they're, I think one of the, the, free agents are losing is Kyle Anderson. But um, I, th- I think that, that that's a team that's, uh, I mean, Morant is, is so fun to watch. I, I can't take my eyes off the guy. Dazzling. Because there's, Dazzling. yeah, there's certain players in the history of basketball that I've watched that I, I just, I just can't wait to see them. Earl of Pearl Monroe was one. Pete Maravis was another one. Uh, uh, Going way back, I love to watch Walter Bellamy play. You know, there's certain <laughs> guys that are just phenomenal. He may not be the best overall, but he's he's getting better. I'm just worried about his health because, God, he goes airborne in the lane so much, Jim, that I, I worry about him crashing down. It, it he he is just like uh, uh, like Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that. I think that he's got a really good supporting cast with, you know, Brooks and Bain, you know, Jaron, uh, Jaron Jackson. He's a really, really good center Melton. I mean, they're loaded and they have a ton of money in the salary cap, a ton. So they could potentially bring in, you know, one of these marquee free agents or a couple of other role players that could really help them because they're good. I mean, they, let's face it. They, they gave golden state all they could handle. Oh, for sure. So it'll be interesting. Well, we're 66 minutes into the podcast. Can you believe it? No, I I really, usually I I, kind of sense when we're moving up on the hour, but this one blew by and I thought, I thought I was thinking, I don't know how much we're going to, Jim and I are going to be able to talk to about today, but it, it, it is, it flowed and it, it was fun as always, Jim. Well, thank you, Super Dave. And now, you know, as always, you know, you're the guest. In summation, what would you like to say about the future of the NBA, the past season, the, the forum, the stage is yours. The spotlight is on you thinking well i'd like to talk about the podcast format in general 
the fact that you and I went through the whole season in the NBA and, and it's, it, you know, we're newly associated professionally here at, uh, on this podcast and the NBA was just a great vehicle. The common theme of our friendship with Randy Larson and the, the boys down at Live Oak Park in Manhattan Beach. And I look forward to future podcasts with you and not just on the NBA. We're going to we're going to delve into some history, but uh, I, without knowing anything about how we're going to format that, Jim, I, I know that you and I are going to come from different directions, but but you have this, this incredible ability to summarize things and to, to get to the essence. And whatever I don't have in the thoughts will be triggered by some of the things you say. So I look, I, I, I really, anybody that's listening to this podcast, I, I trust that you look for the Don't Give a Shit Files and the podcast that talks about history because I think that's going to every bit be uh, every bit as uh, insightful as this NBA was. Well, I can't wait till our next podcast. And Super Dave, I thank you. This has been a terrific NBA season. It has been one of my favorites of all. It's probably been my favorite NBA season that the Lakers didn't win a championship. <laughs> <laughs> Lay down on the couch after you sign off. <laughs> All right, Super Dave, thank you. And we'll be uh, we'll be talking in the next couple of days. I've got some ideas about history and I'll share them with you. See you, Jim. Thank you. Bye, Super Dave.